Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello and welcome to the call. Ten stocks picked by you, two experts, one hour. It is Wednesday, November the 15th. I'm Andrew Gagan. Great to have you with us. And our experts on the show today, Andrew Violet from DP Wealth Advisory and Sean Cartwright from Anadara Asset Management. Gentlemen, welcome to you both. Now, of course, quite a bit of um, data coming to us um, today overnight. We had uh, US CPI, of course. Uh, we just had local wages figures, a bit of a contradictory um, outlook there in, in those terms. But um, but we have seen, of course, um, the share market you know, on both sides um, rallying significantly. Andrew, is this um, you know, the beginning of the, the Santa rally, if you like? How, how optimistic are you, particularly given what we've seen out of the States? Yes, good morning, A1. Um, look, I, um, I'm feeling a little bit more optimistic. Maybe it's my two weeks in Scandinavia making me feel uh, a little bit happier. Maximum temperature there was four. It's 34 here in God's country today. So I'm certainly um, a lot more alert and awake as to what things are going on. Of course, tomorrow on the drop, at uh, 10.50, I'll actually be talking about the Santa Claus rally and how to be playing that. So certainly I don't want to give too much away right now, with due respect, but it is certainly looking more positive um, relating to US interest rates anyway, and obviously the implications for valuations there, in particular given their tech-heavy, uh, their indexes are so tech-heavy. Um, and I think we're just due for a relief rally here. I mean, we've been underwater since basically August, so certainly uh, the Santa rally does appear to be alive, but again, it's just how do you play it? And uh, we'll talk a little bit about that tomorrow. Yep, indeed. Okay, look forward to that. Meanwhile, um, Sean, yeah, I think locally we're at a two-month high. Uh, we yep. have seen a recent rally, of course. Um, what are your thoughts then? I guess particularly, you know, the outlook for um, interest rates um, and, and sort of back to my original point there, I guess perhaps Australia is running around six months or so behind where the States is at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think we will get a, a rally somewhat. I don't think we're going to see the... Um, the, the kind of Christmas rally we're all hoping for. Uh, this time last week, we were looking at a really, really key level of support. Um, and my colleagues and I were were preparing ourselves for 6,300 on the market. Um, and But what we've seen is a really, really big bounce and a lot of supports come in and help bounce off that 6,800 level. Helped along a little bit by some key data, but I, I really, I'm really struggling to see uh, a strong and sustained Santa rally while there's still the looming threat of uh, potential interest rate rises. Um, I, I still think it was pretty crazy. We were trading up near our all-time highs while interest rates were still going up. So um, there is some conflicting data out there that's making it really hard to um, really hard to pick. 
But one thing that uh, has become apparent when speaking with um, my colleagues and other portfolio managers is there's a hell of a lot of cash sitting on the sidelines right now and it's all looking for, for a home. Um, and we are starting to see a little bit of FOMO, especially from the retail end when we look at the broker movements um, into some of the bigger stocks. So yep. I'm cautiously optimistic. Clearly, it's those boomers looking for somewhere to put their cash at the moment because we're blaming them, aren't we, just as far as, uh, you know, where inflation is going at the moment because uh, the other two-thirds of Australian households are doing it tough at the moment, uh, particularly as, uh, you know, if you're owning a home or renting at the moment, it is very difficult. Uh, all right, look, uh, let's get into the stocks as picked by you. Um few uh, ETFs as you'd expect, given Andrew is joining us today. Uh, Australian Ethical Investments, Vanek Australian Equal Weight ETF, TG Metals, uh, Global X uh, Copper Miners ETF, and Grey Mining. Uh, let's begin with our stock of the day. Uh, now, a number of AGMs uh, today, it is uh, AGM season, of course, Flight Centre among the company telling the company telling our shareholders total first quarter transaction value is up 20 percent the company saying margin improvement led to a strong first quarter profit uplift and it sees fy24 underlying pre-tax profit to be in the 270 to 310 million dollar range and sees airline capacity as improving so um let's get into it then and uh, andrew let's start with you flight center how do you view it? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm always a little bit torn on this one because the CEO is an ex-Toowoomba boy. So obviously it sort of, you know, goes up the, the rankings purely on that basis alone. Graham Turner, the former vet, before he started uh, running those buses around uh, Europe and, and London, of course. But it, it's obviously um, hostage to what occurred with the pandemic and, uh, you know, it's bouncing back. But as you also pointed out at the AGM today, they were still talking about uh, capacity constraints, uh, in particular from Australia back to Europe through the Middle East. Um, so that's certainly a, a bit of a concern and whether that's going to sort of abate. And obviously, again, coming back to your comments before relating to travel and, uh, and you know, certainly, if I can put it so delicately, the more mature people are able to afford to travel. But, you know, with 12 or 13 interest rate rises, that certainly puts that discretionary spend out of most people's um, sites as such. So I, I guess we've always been pretty cautious on these sort of travel-like companies Corporate travel is another one that we've been pretty cautious on as well. I note consensus is about 24 bucks. They're trading at around 19 at the moment, but certainly I wouldn't be viewing these as cheap. Uh, you know, you're paying, being asked to pay a P of around 20 times earnings. So even though consensus looks okay, it's probably not the right sort of sector relating to what's going on with consumer discretionary spending. Note the price is under a bit of pressure today because, as you said, they basically just met midway of consensus. So on balance, Andrew, I think it is a hold. A hold, yeah. Price off around 2.5% at the moment. Uh, Sean, how do you look at it then? Yeah, I, I think um, in their presentation today, uh, the wording was, uh, I think they've played around with some wording and they were talking about improving margins. I don't know that their margins have improved. Um, I think that the average sale um, has increased significantly and their margins are relatively consistent. Um, I think that as capacity comes in, we've all heard what happened um, Oh, the, the blow up with Qantas and Qatar and the government block, apparently blocking um, 
additional routes. Eventually, there will be additional capacity added to our network, and that will bring um, a reduction in travel costs. Um, I travel regularly, and it is absurd at the moment the amount of money it costs to fly out of this country um, and come back, and there just aren't any seats. You have to plan ahead. Um, otherwise, you can you can miss out. So on the whole, at best, um, I actually think that they'll probably struggle, and I see a little bit of downside here. So uh, certainly not a buy. I'd be a hold to maybe even a sell or lightning of your position if you've already got some. All right. Uh, given that sector then, what, how do you rate that, particularly with the likes of corporate travel and Webjet, for instance? Um, I'm actually not, uh, I'm not that bullish on this sector. Um, I, I think what we're seeing right now is, as you said, um, the post-COVID effect. So we've got, we are at capacity. Ticket prices and sales are obscenely high. Um, I think the cost per flight is going to come down. And with that, I think the earnings uh, will come down for these companies. Um, I wouldn't be buying any of them at the moment. Yep. All right. Okay, so maybe just keeping flight center grounded at this point. Okay, let's say, yeah, I know, Andrew, you know me. Uh, Okay, let's get into it then, the ones as picked by you. Uh, We're going to begin with Australian Ethical Investment, ticket code AEF, as picked by Simon. It is a fund management company that specialises, as you'd expect, given the name, environmental and socially responsible uh, investments and um, Sean, let's uh, let's get your opinion then on Australian ethical investment. Just taking a look at the share price, it hasn't really moved in the balance of things over the past twelve months. Yeah, um, so um, I don't mind this company, um, and Andy Gracie's a, a, a really smart guy, and and what he's done over there, and I think. What Oz Ethical do really well is marketing. Um, I think they they're, they're quite restrained to some of the the things that they can invest in, and I've seen some of the some of the biotech and healthcare companies that they invest in. They they're really 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 specky, um, and I understand why people um, would invest in a product like this. It's not something for me. Um, I, I think that. If you've got a, if you've got a, want to make an uh, an investment into an ethical type fund, I think there are better options out there. Um, I think with these products, um, I think that as their fund grows, they become more and more conservative, and it makes it harder and harder to uh, track or even outperform the the index, which is what you really want if you're going to. Uh, buy into a fund. Um, I'm a sell. Uh, I, I just don't see any value here. And, and I think if you want access to an ethical style fund, there are better options out there. Such as? Um, so Future Super have got a couple of really interesting products. Um, again, not something I would invest in, but I, I would rate them more highly than um, Oz Ethical. Mm. Um, I think Oz Ethical had its day, and I think back when they were smaller with smaller um, levels of thumb, I think that they had, um, I think that their mandate allowed them to invest in um, a, a little bit freer, I guess. But where they are now, they're so big, um, I think. And because they effectively cut themselves out of a massive part 
of our index and the things that can really move um, move our index upwards, uh, I think it makes it really tough for them to outperform. So I'm a sell. Yep. Okay. So you're negative. Andrew, do you agree? Sean, two cells. You're, you're coming out early, mate. You're coming out. <laughs> uh, you're coming out swinging. Um, I'm. Uh, I'm. Look. I'm. As you know, I'm sort of the more passive or smart beta type of guy. So, because um, as we know, there's an 83% active managers will fail to meet their benchmark over 15. Years. So it doesn't mean that there aren't good active managers out there, but it's just hard for them to do it. And as Sean was talking about, if you overlay that with the handcuffs that uh, AEF have relating to ethical investment investing, and I, and I should stress that ethical investing is really important. There's been some studies done that shows that businesses that actually do act ethically or investing ethically uh, have actually got a better chance of uh, financial outperformance. Because if you think about it, it's pretty simple. They're you know being compliant and they're doing the right thing. Um, so certainly having that lens uh, is important, but equally so to Sean's point, this company's got about $9 billion funds under management, so it's much harder for them to be nimble. Uh, and around two thirds of their money is actually not super sticky, it's retail. So in other words, only about one third of their money is institutionally focused. So their margins are pretty ordinary as well. It's only about an 8% margin. You know, if I look at some of the other managers at the moment, uh, Perpetual's 13%, uh, Platinum's 38%, Janus, Henderson's 19%, uh, AEF's only not, is only 8%, so their their margin's pretty ordinary. Uh, again, I probably wouldn't invest in this. It's not a sell, it's a hold, but again, being the boring ETF guy, uh, I'd be probably more inclined domestically to look at something like E200 from State Street or VESG from Vanguard if you're looking for more of that international flavour. All righty. Okay, that is Australian Ethical Investment. Righto, let's get into our first ETF. Uh, this one picked by Scott. It is, that's right, batter up. Uh, Vanek, Australian Equal Weight. Um, and you'd be surprised to know, Andrew, Scott's after your opinion uh, on both that and also VAS, V-A-S. He's saying, now in a recent episode, you mentioned it's good to have a reasonable allocation to equal weight ETFs. However... The performance between MVW and VAS illustrates their performance is almost one and the same. If an investor has a defined weighting to Australian shares, roughly what percentage will be allocated to equal weight ETF versus index ETF? All right, quite specific there, Andrew. What do you think? Sure. Well, we, we might start with that last bit first because I've got a short-term memory. Um, so to me, it's probably two-thirds core. So let's say VAS is core. I'd actually argue VAS is not necessarily core because it's ASX 300, whereas the indices is 200. But, you know, for the sake of Scott's argument, VAS would be the core. So you'd have two thirds of the money into VAS and then you'd have one third into satellite or smart beta. So in that particular case, two thirds VAS, one third MVW. Um, it's an interesting observation that Scott makes relating to the performance of MVW because he's quite right over, say, the last... 12 months and even five years, it's been pretty much the same. But just, you know, to get people to remember what equal weight is about, it's what it's doing is it's buying the top 70 companies on the ASX S&P 200 and owning around 1.5% of them each. So in other words, if you think about VAS or even the broader market, it's heavy in financials, it's heavy in materials, uh, a little bit of healthcare by virtue of um, CSL, 
whereas by virtue of MVW, you've got a far more diversified, far more spread. So as an example, in the indices, BHP, I think, is around 10 or 11%. It's the biggest holding. Whereas over here in MVW land, your biggest holding is 1.5%. So BHP has a great day, happy days. BHP has an ordinary day, the index cops it. So really, Scott, what we're trying to do is, sure, performance is one part of the equation, but the other side that people tend to forget about is around the risk side. We're trying to manage the risk as well. Um, when I came back from my US trip in 2018, I spent a bit of time with S&P, and one of the key things we found with our portfolios is we were doing better than the index, happy days, but with just direct shares, but what we're also doing was taking on double the risk, but we weren't getting double the returns. So the whole idea around using these ETFs is to try and sort of not only get some performance, which is obviously important, but equally so you're trying to manage that risk as well. So two thirds core, one third active or smart beta will help manage that. So hopefully that answers that. I think it does. Sean, what are your thoughts? Um, so, I think viewers are going to get very, very different views on um, on these today. So um, we use ETFs in a very different way um, with our within our funds and our private wealth clients' accounts um, than what Andrew does. So I'm um, I think that I'll start by saying if you're the type of investor with a risk profile that would buy this anyway, I think it's a hold. Um, but it's uh, these equal weight ETFs. I think one of the things that you get in an ETF typically um, is it helps iron out some volatility. Um, and I think that if you're looking to track the market, as Andrew said, um, in some of these ETFs, if uh, BHP or the banks have a good day, the ETF has a good day. Um, if they have a bad day, so does the ETF. We're when we're placing funds where we're looking for um, outperformance and we think that with a lot of these ETFs it's really tough um, to get outperformance um, when you hold a large position. We typically like to use the leveraged ones if we see uh, a particular undervalued sector or index or asset. Um, with these equal weighting ones I think like I said if you are the type of investor that's already bought this, it would be a hold. Um, but it's just not something we'd use unless uh, we, I will say we do use these occasionally for the structured products we create, but um, to buy it and put it in a portfolio, uh, no. Yep. Fair enough then. Uh, interesting too, the diversity of opinion there. So that that's great. All right, let's uh, get into our third pick it is um, TG Metals, ticket code TG6. Uh, it's focused on uh, exploring nickel, lithium, gold. That's just, it's a Lake Johnson project in WA. And um, in fact, uh, this one coming to us from Andy, wanting to ask Mr. Lithium, aka Henry, um, his thoughts on it. Now, unfortunately, Henry's not with us today. Sean's got to um, step up to the plate as a result. Uh, but look, this is after the, their discovery last week. That's right. Um, with uh, announcing it's kicking off a second phase of its uh, explore, exploratory drilling. Uh, look, you only have to look at the uh, the share price. It's absolutely rocketed as a result. I think it was up close to 100%. In fact, today it's off about 10%. 
Um, but uh, clearly a bit of a game changer there for TG Metals. Uh, Sean, what can you tell us? Yeah, um, so on the back of a, a discovery, um, TG Metals was up over 1,000% um, this time last week. Sorry, 1,000, so, you're right, yes. Yeah, yeah, it, it, and it went on a great run. And Andrew, we've spoken about this a few times um, just in the smaller segments. With these lithium companies, what we're starting to see is the, the well, the bubble's already here. And the, the, the challenge I think that investors have when looking at a lithium company or looking to get exposure to lithium there are so many companies on exchanges around the world um, that are announcing lithium deposits. Um, I still don't see a significant portion of them going into production. Um, I sat on a panel in Singapore recently at an investor conference. Uh, ten of the present, ten of the twelve presenting companies were lithium um, explorers or developers, and I got up and I said, "I think that uh, nine of the ten will never get into production," and that's because we're starting to see. Um, even companies that we've got significant positions in are reaching out to me asking if I can find some lithium assets just so they can put in an announcement. They think it'll give them a, a, a kick to the share price. And I think a lot of investors, uh, especially a lot of retail investors, unfortunately, they're piling in on these things through FOMO. And I think with TG6, um, they do have a couple of really good things going for them, but they're so overvalued at this price. I think there's a lot of upside. Mm. Um, but I, I think that what we tend to look at when we see a company like this is we have a look at uh, some of their neighbours that have almost certainly got um, similar geology and some of those neighbours that haven't quite had the run up yet or aren't quite as advanced for value there. Um, I'll also say that uh, some of the research that we've produced, and if anyone wants a copy, just reach out, I'm happy to provide it for you. But we had a look at every single known lithium exploration project development developer or producer on the planet um, so if everything we currently know is known to um, known to the community comes online um, we still will have a 48 percent shortfall in our lithium supply to hit our net zero 30 targets so it's a case of if they if you can produce it you'll sell it but i think production is uh, the challenge for a lot of these companies Having said that, TG Metals are in our preferred jurisdiction, which is Australia. I think Western Australia is the best mining jurisdiction in the world. We've moved away from all the lithium brine projects in South America. Um, what we're starting to see with them, they had their early run and um, the direct, direct extraction uh, process that they were going to use, um, we think that the cost is going to be significantly higher than, than what they're um, what they're forecasting. So we like the hard rock producers, especially in, in Western Australia. Mm. Um, this It's a hold now, but if it pu pulled back another 10 or 15%, it would be a buy. I'd actually be looking at the neighbour, Briar Resources. Um, they actually share a border. Uh, they've had a little run on the back of TG Metals, um, but I think there's probably more value there. But if you've got this, certainly hold it, and I'd buy more if it pulls back a little bit. Yep, great uh, background there. Sean, and you point to that neurology that's at play, isn't it? Because it is adjacent to those past producing or nickel mines, also processing plants and um, targets for immediate exploration at the same time. Andrew, what are your thoughts? Um, first of all, Sean, what was the code of the adjacent company? Sorry? Uh, BYH. Uh, 
Big one. Perfect. Thank you. I'm, 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 I'm just saying, Andrew and Joel, uh, Andrew and the producers of Joel, <laughs> yeah. just people were about to go, what's the cut? So thank you. Um, so again, uh, as, as I uh, just said to you off air before, uh, I hope you're across a lot of these lithium companies because this is normally Henry's job. I'm just sort of the sidekick with this stuff. Uh, I note that Henry correctly called this back in late October, so hats off to him. He's not here to collect the kudos. Probably the only thing, well, two, two things. There's some more results coming in a couple of weeks' time. So that certainly could be a positive or a negative for the company. You'd certainly expect on balance, hopefully going to be a positive. But and it's probably a somewhat disingenuous statistic, but it's still a statistic regardless. The average daily trade on this company over the last three months is about $6,600. Now, obviously, that's not the case the last month because, you know, there's been heaps of good news and it's gone ballistic. But you just, you know, to Sean's point before, with these smaller ones, you've got to be really careful because they keep coming up with good news, happy days. But if for whatever reason they don't, they're a bit of a crab pot, easy to get into, difficult to get out of. And if the average longer term or medium term rather is only 6,000 bucks a day and you're holding a reasonable sum, you could sort of get caught holding the baby. So you've just got to be very careful managing those position sizes uh, with this one. So I would think it's a hold on the basis of those results coming out in a couple of weeks time. Yep, okay, all right. Let's uh, move to our second ETF then. And uh, Greg, picking this one, it is the Global X Copper Miners ETF Wire. Uh, he's looking for an opinion from our experts. Uh, like He says he'd like to be exposed to copper for the long term, uh, but he's wondering whether a broader base miner such as BHP is the play or to stick with an ETF for broader exposure. Andrew, what do you think? Look, Henry's not here to hear me say this, but you know, I'd nearly be inclined to do in the in the case of the particular question. I'd nearly be inclined just to do BHP. Um, certainly not anti uh, ETFs at all. Far from it. Um, and certainly, you know, that demand for copper longer term is there. And we've spoken many, many, many times, Andrew, about electrification, decarbonisation, etc. So certainly, there's a very strong argument there. Uh, there's a great article on live markets this morning talking about the economics of copper with electric vehicles, wind turbines, all that sort of stuff. So the copper story is intact long term. However, short term, copper is off about 20% over the last six months. Uh, concerns about uh, weak global demand, in particular China. Uh, so that's certainly causing uh, not only the copper price to come under pressure, therefore also the global copper miners, which is what this ETF is covering as well. Whereas I guess from my point of view, I really do like BHP. I'm not so keen on the price at the moment, $46, $47. I don't think it's amazing value, but you're absolutely getting exposure to that copper thematic, but you're getting exposure to many others, including obviously iron ore in particular. So um, I, I, if, I, if it was a shootout between BHP and wire, I'd actually probably go BHP because it's got other strings to its bow. But if um, copper was to continue to come under pressure, uh, medium to long term, this was to dip below $10, then I'd certainly be interested in having a look at it. So copper as a thematic is okay, but mm. in this particular case, maybe BHP is the better way to play it. Yeah, interesting. Okay. So Sean, how would you play it then, particularly if you had to sort of a choice between the two? Uh, I completely agree with Andrew on this one. Um, so BHP make up about 5.5% of this particular ETF, and I like the Global X um, metal ETFs, we use them uh, as underlying for our structured products quite um, quite regularly. Um, I, I think though, this is for the type of investor that isn't really looking for ex the kind of volatility you would get in 
BHP. Um, I think BHP will perform much better over time. So um, if you hold this, continue to hold it. But if you're asking for a choice between this and BHP, it's BHP for me. Yeah. All right. Okay, that is the Global X uh, Copper Miners ETF wire. All right, well, we're pretty um, mining intensive at the moment. Let's uh, stay in that sector then, because our fifth stock is picked by David. It is DeGray, and uh, it is uh, about gold, of course. It's, uh, it owns the Hemi Gold Project in the Pilbara of uh, WA. Um, share price though has lagged um, the broader sort of gold miners rally that we've seen this year uh, because it is still in the development stage. So, um, Sean, what's uh, what's your take on DeGray? Um, so we really like DeGray and in the interest of full disclosure, we hold it. Um, one of the, uh, my fellow portfolio managers is really close to Simon Lill, who is the chairman. Um, and he uh, he personally put a substantial amount of money into this years ago when everybody thought it was rubbish. And it's the most significant gold discovery in the last 20 years in Australia. And they'll be producing soon. And I think they've got something around the, uh, oh, it's close to 10 million ounces um, of gold. Um, I think if you're a gold bull, definitely have a look at this one. I think as they come on, and I think there's even some scope to increase their resource. Now, going back to the lithium theme, if you have a look at one at their neighbour, uh, Wildcat Resources, they've just had a significant lithium discovery. So I think it would be mad to think that DeGray wouldn't have lithium in there. Um, in there uh, uh, or as well. And if Wildcat are able to get into production, um, that might be an extra leg up for this company. Mm. So DeGray's a buy for me. Yep, okay. Are you um, are you bullish overall with the, the gold sector at the moment, Sean? Yeah. Uh, so gold has behaved really, really strangely um, with this high interest rate environment. Um, you would have expected gold to come off, but it's really, it's been touching on its highs and it looks like it's trying to break out. Mm. Um, I actually think that when interest rates start to come off, we could see gold break through um, this really key level it's sitting at now. So I think if you're going to take gold exposure um, on the ASX, it'd be a, a Northern Star, which is now the biggest gold miner after Newcrest uh, got taken out by Newmont, yep. or DeGray. I think DeGray's probably got a bit more upside than uh, Newcrest, uh, Newcrest uh, Northern oh, Star. Yeah. yeah. All right, interesting. Andrew? Yeah, I can think of lots of reasons to be holding gold. Obviously, all that global uncertainty that's taking place at the moment, and you know, it's probably one of the reasons why gold is up 11%. Uh, in US dollar terms at the moment. Um, obviously, we're coming into sort of that Indian gold buying season as well, um, that sort of September through November window. So that's certainly um, positive for the uh, for the gold for gold overall. I think one of the reasons why DeGray is under a bit of pressure is because they just did that big um, placement as well, 300 odd million from memory uh, at a dollar five. So that's certainly going to depress the share price. But if you look at its performance over the last five years, it's up 59% per annum. So against the broader market, that's only up about 10%. So certainly, I think this is a hen- I think Henry likes this one from memory as well. So I'm happy to stick a buy on that. Sean likes it. And, uh, you know, he came out early with a couple of double sells, but he's starting to redeem himself. So happy <laughs> Happy to back him, um, but uh, certainly Northern Star looks appealing. And again, being the ETF guy, I certainly don't mind G O L D. 
as an ETF. Of course. But yeah, certainly yeah. degrade. Cool. Yeah. Fine. Okay. All right. Uh, yeah, I should know. Degrade's up. Uh, about one and a half percent at the moment, but the whole gold sector is doing very well today. That's obviously off the back of that CPI inflation rate we got out of the states. Um, thoughts that you know that interest rate tightening cycle is very much at an end, and that has unleashed um, gold as a result. Just um, some of those just taking a look today. In fact, uh, like Northern Stars up four percent. Evolution it's a similar amount as well. All right, so let's um, summarise our first five plus our stock of the day. And uh, getting into that, our stock of the day was a Flight Centre, of course, uh, holding its AGM today. And uh, we don't actually have the graphic up there. But um, look, Andrew talks about the capacity constraints, um, also pointing out, look, it's not, it's really not cheap at this point. He's got a hold on it. Sean does agree. He's also got a hold on it. Does see some downside there, particularly with the pressure on discretionary spending. Um, in fact, he, he's probably closer to lightning at this point. Uh, the first stock as picked by you was Australian Ethical Investment. Um, Sean's not really a fan. He's got a sell on it. Uh, he is said it's constrained by its mandate and um, difficult to outperform the index. Uh, Andrew's got a hold on it. And uh, he said you'd probably want to look at like an E200, which has got a more international exposure there. The Vanek Australian Equal Weighted ETF, MVW. The question was uh, that versus VAS, VAS. Andrew's saying, look, VAS would be a core holding. So that's two thirds. One third would be MVW as a satellite holding. Uh, Whereas Sean's saying, look, it does have a hold on it if you want to be in that space. Um, It is an ironed out volatility but uh, difficult to get outperformance by holding that. Uh, TG Metals, um, Sean's saying, look, he talked us through uh, just so many uh, lithium fines out there at the moment, pointing out that 9 out of 10 won't make it across the line. Uh, He's got a hold on it, but his preferred one is Briar Resources, which is a a neighbour. That's B-Y-H, the ticket code. Um, Andrew making the point here that, look, it has the potential to be a bit of a lobster pot. It's obviously done very well off the back of a find just recently, but otherwise it's quite thinly traded. Uh, The Global X Copper Miners ETF Wire. um, Andrew pointing out copper is of around 20% in the past six months. Uh, The question was that or BHP? Well, in fact, both Andrew and Sean preferring BHP. And finally, there, DeGray, our first double buy. So that's going to the committee. Um, and in fact, Sean saying they already hold it there. And Andrew pointing out maybe the gold GOLD ETF and both liking Northern Star also at this point. Okay, let's uh, catch up with our own high conviction fund picked by our investment committee. The latest episode of that is live for you to watch at ausbiz.com. Checking in on the update and going into November, 1% was trimmed from MA Financial and added to Challenger. So let's see how it is performing up 7.6% on a cumulative return basis since its inception at the beginning of March last year. So keep sending in requests, keep the call switched on to see which stocks our committee will be looking at next. Well, next half of the show, we're going to be taking a look at BetaShares Dividend Harvester Fund, Setire, Sinai Milk, Core Lithium, and Wise Tech Global. All right, so getting into another ETF then. This one picked by Tanya. Uh, the BetaShares Dividend Harvester Fund, HVST, 
Tanya asking, saying, I was interested to invest in a product that would offer a strong yield. I don't have any ETFs or managed products in my portfolio, just individual stocks and bonds. So Andrew, is this one for Tanya? Uh, well, again, obviously, we don't give personal advice here, Andrew, so we'll sort of talk in, in generalities. Mm -hmm. uh, is this is this one in which uh, investors should be thinking about? Well, again, let's have a look at what it does. Since the name suggests it's basically going out and uh, holding, which, excuse me, holding between 40 and 60 companies from memory, uh, and it's rebalanced every three months, trying to find those companies that are actually going to be paying um, good dividends. Uh, the dividend distribution is uh, monthly um, and it holds names like BHP. Now, it's important to note that at the moment, as an example, BHP is 13% of this fund, well, as, it, as at the end of September anyway. Uh, NAB, CSL, interestingly, CSL would normally be one that you'd think it'd sort of feature on the dividend paying list and also ANZ. Um, look, uh, the, probably the key thing that would sort of turn me off this one, Tanya, is that the MER, the management expense ratio, it's about 72 basis points or 0.72 of a percent, which doesn't sound like a lot, but our preferred um, income-focused ETF is from Vanguard uh, VHY, and I was just looking before, their management fee is a third, basically. It's only 25 basis points. Um, and in part because they're not being anywhere near as active as beta shares are. What beta shares are doing is they're actively screening the market, turning that portfolio over, trying to drive those returns, whereas uh, the Vanguard product isn't being as active. But as a consequence, you're paying only one third of the fee. So on balance, I'm probably a no to this. Nothing wrong with it, but certainly I think there are better uh, bang for buck income ETFs out there. All right, I'm guessing Sean might be of a similar opinion then. How did you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I, I think I agree with everything um, um, that Andrew said. It's um, the expense um, ratio, it's way too high for a product like this. I think you get much bigger bang for your buck. If you're looking for income, um, there are some really good dividend payers. So BHP, as Andrew pointed out, makes up a significant portion of this portfolio. Um, one thing that we do for clients from time to time, um, when the big four or five, uh, including Macquarie Banks, pull back, um, we'll buy them just to capture their dividend. Um, so my view is look for a single stock, and BHP is obviously an excellent um choice if you're purely looking for yield um, and can handle the volatility. Um, I'd be a sell for this and look for something else, a single stock that pays a, a decent dividend and franking credit. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's a no then to yeah, the dividend no. harvester fund from Beta yeah. Shares. Okay. Let's take a look now at Setai. This one picked by Daryl. It is the global online retailer uh, of personal luxury goods. Um, yeah, it's got about two and a half thousand brands, I think, that it uh, stocks 400,000 products at both clothing, shoe, shoes, bags, accessories. I'm also anticipating that neither of our experts really do use satire. Their family members may, but I'm guessing you guys don't. Um, Sean, what are your thoughts on satire, given it's actually up about 70 plus percent over the past year? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, you're right. We don't use satire and neither does, uh, neither does my wife. Um, but it is a pretty solid business and it's quite amazing. Um, 
we, we talk about costs of living and high interest rates and how expenditure, um, household expenditure should be down. Um, but as you correctly pointed out at the start of the show, um, the higher interest rate environment is only really affecting the people um, that have large mortgages and things like that. And Setire um, have a lot of luxury brands. And so we aren't really seeing a dent in their sales. We're actually seeing them grow. Um, as a, uh, a consumer investment, I'd be a hold if you already hold it. I, I certainly wouldn't be buying and I wouldn't be buying at these levels, but it looks like they've, um, they've positioned their portfolio really well with their brands and they seem to be very resilient in high interest rate environments. So I'd say hold. Yeah, okay, Andrew. So when Henry and I covered this back in August, he and I both identified that one of the key risks to this business was the CEO and founder, Dean Minns, and his significant holding in the business. We sort of put a bit of an amber light up saying, you know, good business, but um, if there was to be some selling pressure that could potentially sort of cause some price weakness, well, literally, I think either that afternoon or the next day, he sold down a, a reasonable portion of his holding um, int- at $3. Interestingly, though, to note that he then promised not to sell for, wait for it, 60 days. So not six months, not 12 months, not two years. I won't sell anymore for 60 days, which just happens to pretty much coincide with now. So um, he is a a seller. Now, whether he's a motivated seller, I I certainly don't believe that to be the case, but he still owns around 36, 37% of the business. And from an um, investor's um, appeal point of view, companies whereby you've got six um, substantial shareholding sort of takes a couple of, takes the gloss away from it, takes any corporate appeal away from it. You know, it's a bit of a, 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 um, a shadow as to whether, you know, the, the founder is going to sell some more shares off. So that basis alone, I'd probably be a no. Uh, the other thing, though, just looking at, like, you're being asked to pay 45 times earnings, which I think is probably a bit rich. Uh, certainly the business itself is performing pretty well. They added $20 million over the last quarter. Uh, they're doing pretty well relating to um, you know returning customers and all that sort of stuff. But I just think the the chance of a sell down over even say the next six twelve months is relatively high. So I would be a hold. Okay. Oh, not. I thought you were saying no, but okay, a hold. Fair enough. Good one. Okay, let's uh, take a look now at Sinlay Milk. Uh, it is the dairy processing company based in New Zealand. Um, milk powder related products, uh, infant formula. Um, but the news of late is that A2 Milk um, has given Sinlay notice that it's cancelling its manufacturing and supply rights uh, for its infant formula products, particularly those ones sold in China and here and New Zealand. So on that basis, Andrew, what's your outlook for Sinlay? Uh, I'm just looking at the chart, and it's a dreadful-looking chart. You know, you want bottom left to top right. Uh, that is the antithesis of what we're looking for. Mm. Um, down 54% for one year and down 30% per annum for the last five years. So certainly uh, not exactly doing that well. Um, again, also only $27,000 a day traded. So again, even if we had some burning desires to get involved, which we don't, there's hardly any liquidity there. They were very close, very tight with A2 Milk, but now there's an ongoing legal dispute. 
and what's that, you know, to me that immediately speaks to management being distracted, uh, is management, you know, focused on executing. And if you look at their most recent ASX announcements, they say that they are and they've got their 2024 to 2028 plan, which I'm sure they do. But you can't tell me also that management still aren't focused on dealing with that A2 milk dispute. So I can think of lots of reasons not to be there. I note that uh, the two brokers who follow it have downgraded their consensus by about 30% over the last three months. So lots and lots of amber lights, Andrew, it is a hold. Oh, I thought you are going to be a no or a sell, but okay. But what, so if you say you've ridden it down this far, keep holding. I was about to say, if you're going to have that epiphany, you know, you would have had it back in January at $3.50. Yeah. Uh, telling people to bail out at $1.23 is, yeah, that's 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 a bitter pill to swallow. So, yeah, just hang in there. Yeah, all right. So, Sean, has Sinlay Milk gone off? Yeah, it <laughs> it, it has gone off. Um, so, uh, as Andrew said, uh, this arbitration, it was announced uh, sometime in October, uh, with A2 Milk, this is going to be a big distraction, I think, for management. Um, and just to, to have a look at this, I, I don't see any value. I think um, I actually think there's a fair way for this company to fall from here. Um, anytime that you see management teams distracted from what they're there to be doing, um, it's never a good sign. Um, this thing could just be dragged out the arbitration for quite some time. Um, there's actually been, uh, they've got their IR crew knocking on doors at the moment. They've been hosting a whole heap of presentations. I don't think they've been very well attended. Um, I'm a sell with this one. I, I, I just think it could be a good business again, but I think there's still some way to fall when sentiment is this bad. Um, it's usually for a very good reason. Um, and I think there's plenty more selling to go. There are much better opportunities as the market starts to recover. And I think brokers that have maybe got this in their portfolios will start to look for other opportunities for their clients en masse very soon. Now, on the flip side, and given particularly uh, the China market, how do you view A2 Milk? Um, I, I think A2 Milk, if, if you wanted to be a, an investor in a, one of the milk companies, A2 is probably the way to go. Um, However, I still see more upside in other sectors, especially as the market recovers. Um, I think A2 is probably fully or fairly valued around these levels. Um, I, I don't see any reason to be buying anything in this sector right now. Um, and if you hold, uh, A2 you'd hold, but if you hold this, I think I'd be selling and looking for something else. Yep, okay. All right, let's uh, get back into the mining sector uh, with lithium, which we've spoken about earlier too, of course. This stock is Core Lithium, as picked by uh, Angelo. Uh, has fallen quite dramatically this year, mind you. Um, so has the price of lithium at the same time, pretty much mac- matched uh, in step with that. But I guess, Sean, the point for Core, which is in the Northern Territory, you obviously said before you certainly favour WA uh, assets. Uh, it's a point of its quality and its cost management at the moment. Yep. Um, <clears throat> I really like Core, especially at these prices. Um, you're correct. The, the lithium price has been pumped. It came off from about 70-ish thousand dollars a tonne all the way down to uh, the low 20s. And we saw all the lithium producers globally um, come off and kind of track the fall in the lithium price. And it's some of those lithium explorers and developers um, that have been hurt even more. But I think 
I'm very, very comfortable in the fact that I think the lithium price will appreciate and it'll start to appreciate fairly rapidly. And I think it's the producers that you want to be invested in when that happens, or if not the producers, the um, the developers rather than the explorers. Um, core lithium. So Australia, WA, absolute best place to be a miner, I think. Northern Territory, outstanding. Um, there's also a couple of... Uh, neurology plays i think with core but given the fact that uh, they've already gone through their first full year of production i think when the lithium price starts to increase again i think core will uh, will take off along with um, pilbara um, and any of the other producers it's a buy righto what is your preferred play there um, I really like Core. I think Core's a oh, fantastic yeah. uh, company at these levels. Um, it's a producer. Um, they've got uh, they've got a hell of a lot of production to come. Their margins are going to increase as the price of lithium goes up. Um, I don't think even if the lithium price stays depressed, um, I think their cost of production's actually quite good. Um, so they won't be squeezed out as a marginal player. Um, I, I think there's a fair bit of upside in a company like this. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah, it, and, it would be this or Pilbara. And, and Sean, you say you obviously you know favour those those producers, given and you know, particularly you know explorers and developers. Nine out of ten, you say are never going to make it across the line. Are, are you looking at any stocks that you like at that end? Oh, absolutely. We've we've got a a, a fairly diverse portfolio in the uh, in the explorer and producers. Um, they're very carefully picked though. Um, so I mentioned Briar. I actually think Briar's a really good one. Mm. Uh, there's a company I'm I'm actually a shareholder of. They've just announced that they've discovered lithium air, um, in Western Australia, TechGen Metals. Uh, it's a micro cup and it, it's a very specky play, but they've just announced that they discovered lithium in some of their earlier core samples and they're very close to Delta Lithium. So Delta have got a $300 million market cap. TechGen's got maybe a $6 million market cap. And this is all fresh news just in the last few days. Yeah. Um, but I still think that really, really, you need to limit the size of the allocations you make to the, the more specky end of the market. I think um, to to capitalise on the rebounding lithium price, you want to be in a core and Alcam or a, a Pilbara though. Yep. Okay. Andrew, gee, as it turns out, um, Sean's not a, a bad like-for-like replacement for Henry, is he? <laughs> oh, look, he's he's killing it. He's uh, he's doing super well. He's he's not the lion king, but he's giving it a red hot go. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. So, give us your view on core. Uh, look, I mean, again, more Sean's world and Henry's world than mine. I, I'd simply point out that, you know, and we've covered it off before, that, you know, they're down 79% over the last 12 months, which sounds pretty dramatic. It is dramatic. But we've got to remember that it's still up 49% per annum over the last five years. So it certainly hasn't isn't dreadful from that point of view. And uh, they've got pretty close access to that railway um, in Darwin. I think it's only about 80-odd kilometres away. So uh, the cost of the mine is pretty cheap. So, look, there's lots of lots of things to like about it. Me personally, being the ETF guy, uh, I'd probably do ACDC. Uh, it's off about 15% of late. But certainly the core or Pilbara would be sort of my wheelhouse if I had to choose a direct equity. So you're slapping a buy on it? Why not? Why not indeed? Because that's another double buy, which means our committee is going to take a look at core. Could go wrong. Yeah. What could go wrong? <laughs> yeah. All right, let's round it out then with our 10th stock. It is Wise Tech 
globe. Is that right? Um, actually, I've got a different one here. Um, yes. Okay. WiseTech Global. Um, I was going to. I think it was. I thought I was looking at another ETF, but I'm mistaken. WiseTech Global, as picked by Cameron. All right, Andrew, take it away. Yeah, I really like this one. Um, and even though being the ETF guy, I was starting to pick this one up at five bucks. So even though it's at a pullback from eighty odd, where are we now? Sixty odd. Uh, it's been an absolute cracker for us. Um, and there's a lot to like about this business, that cargo-wise business, uh, the amount of money that they're pouring back into R&D. But um, Andrew and Sean, it is not cheap. It is not cheap. Uh, you're still, even after that most recent re-rating after the uh, results in August, you're still being asked to pay 79 times earnings relative to the market, which is at 23 times. So certainly that is a concern, uh, but there's lots to like about this business. They've got 300 million in cash. Um, it's really, it's a very sticky business. Once that cargo-wise business is in the uh, these uh, freight businesses, it's very hard to get them out. They've been putting um, significant R&D back. I think, what did I say? Uh, the last 10 out of, of the top 25 global freight companies use their product. So I like it, um, but you've just got to be very careful that you are being asked to pay a significant PE for it. There was that short selling campaign as well that seems to have dissipated, but there's always a bit of a risk of that type of stuff occurring with these high PE companies as well. Uh, but I uh, I think, you know, it's a buy. Why, why, why not? You know, it's Wednesday. It's the last one. It's the <laughs> All last right. Caution to the wind, I say. Uh, so a buy from you. Yeah, in fact, its its share price took a tumble off the back of its August results. It's making, just in the past couple of weeks, it has bounced back uh, somewhat, in fact, up around 5% today. So, Sean, what's your view then just in terms of this global logistics company? Well, I'm glad that uh, it was a company I was aware of. The list I had was an ETF. Yes, so. likewise. <laughs> I, I think we've been uh, throwing a, a wildy one there. But anyway, it's uh, yeah, we can no, pick no. it up. No, no, I, I'm, I'm quite familiar with this company and I really like it as well. Um, any business um, that has a SaaS model with uh, that ends up with really sticky customers is really good. Uh, the fact they've got $300 million cash is good. Um, Andrew, you were right. There was a short campaign against this stock, um, but having a look at the open interest on the shorts now, it has dissipated significantly. There's still a bit out there, um, but not enough to cause any problems. Um, uh, there is a significant portion um, of the world's um, freight logistics companies using their software. Um, they won't be going anywhere, and I think they'll be able to pick up more and more customers as they move on. I'm also a buy at these levels. Um, I, I think it'll continue to uh, appreciate quite well from here. Well, what do you know? We've come home with a wet sail, uh, two double buys uh, to finish the show. Well done. Uh, all right, so let's uh, let's sum it up then. Uh, we began there with Beta Shares Dividend Harvester Fund (HVST). Uh, look, a no from Andrew. Um, he said, "Look, he prefers the Vanguard VHY Income ETF." Um, and both pointing out that the the expense ratio is too high. Sean's got to sell on it. Satire, the luxury uh, goods retailer there. Um, Sean pointing out there that those interest rates haven't really affected that end. Um, he's got a hold on it. Um, Andrew pointing out that the CEO is a seller, so watch out, but he does have a hold on it. Sidley Milk, um, a hold from Andrew. They're pointing out it is thinly traded and a horrible chart. Um, and Sean, as just doesn't like it. He sees perhaps potential to fall even further from here. So he's got a sell on it. Uh, Core Lithium, 
Um, it is a double buy. Um, Sean particularly likes it at this price, given it has come off more than uh, 75% over the past year. Um, Andrew also pointing out, but it's an, perhaps also consider an ETF, of course, being ACDC. And just uh, rounding it out there with another double buy, WiseTech Global. Um, Andrew's saying he likes it, but it's not cheap. It is cashed up. And uh, Sean, similarly, also a buy there for WiseTech Global. All right, that is the show for today. Andrew, thanks for joining us to DP Wealth Advisory. Thanks, Andrew and Sean. We're not going to get invited back, mate. We've gone too hard on the double buys. We, we'll have to talk a bit more. <laughs> beforehand. Gonna, well, it, it's sort of, it, you're reflecting that market sentiment today, aren't you, really? So uh, so there you go. Hey, Sean, thanks for joining us from Anadara Asset Management. No, thanks for having me. Good to uh, spar with you, Andrew and Andrew. Good one. All right. Now, any stocks you'd like us to cover, you can go to ausbiz.co forward slash call picks or tweet us at TV. Stay with us. The Pulse is up next. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.